In the spirit of one of the greatest horror movies of all time, Freddy vs. Jason, who do you guys think would win in a three-way battle between Hatchet, or Victor Crowley, uh, Machete, or MC Hammer? Well, first and foremost, let's just say, please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Hammer's going to be a pacifist. I don't really know if he'd get his hands dirty. He'd probably get one of his church entourage to do his dirty work. Oh, delegated battle. Ah, that'd be that'd be cheesy, but very hammery. He just dance in the background. I'm gonna have to go with Machete. <laughs> I think he could take him. I think it'd be a very close battle. I'll give you that. I just don't know, guys, because Machete doesn't hold any type of curse powers or supernatural abilities. He's just a badass dude, right? Like Crowley, on the other hand, is the victim of some sort of long-lived curse that gives him immortality, right? So is MC Hammer, but we don't hold that <laughs> against him. <laughs> Touche. Okay, MC Hammer versus Machete, then. Oh, that's an easy one. Oh, that's Machete. Oh, I was going to say Hammer. <laughs> Hammer. Hammer's a hard motherfucker. Evidently, like, he goes hard, Dude, but I don't know. You can't touch him. That's, what, that's how he'll win. <laughs> Hammer goes hard. I want to see Hammer hard. Wait, that sounds awful. I don't want to see Hammer hard. <laughs> I, can, I can show you that movie. It's not going to be what you want to see, though. Yeah, uh, I'll pass on that. Okay, so it sounds like our winner is MC Hammer and Machete, then. We love you, Victor Crowley, but you lost, you're losing this one. Yeah, I, I concur. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into it and tell our audience who Victor Crowley is. We got the break. Hey, all your creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk Podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? And what have you been up to? Another glorious day in quarantine, my friend. Amen. Uh, you know, I've been up to visiting my backyard, visiting my front yard, uh, visiting my bedroom. You know, just really a lot of exciting vacation-like activities, I would say. Well, based off your survival techniques that you've given us, the this is honestly pretty much what you'd be doing anyway. Yeah, you know, that's true, but it does feel different when you're forced to versus when you choose to. John, <laughs> do you like redecorate a room so you're surprised or like maybe have your wife redecorate so you can wander in and be like, oh, wow, I love what you've done with the place. Uh, that's a way better idea than anything I've thought of. Uh, so now I will going forward, definitely. Okay, good deal. I'd asked John what he's been up to, but I noticed on his letterbox that he's been watching a lot of 90s horror movies and The Patriot. Yeah. <laughs> I went through a phase of uh, really just wanting to revisit some of those 90 high school teen slasher movies that came out after Scream. Uh, almost none of them hold up. So I watched I Know What You Did Last Summer. Uh, I still know what you did last summer. The Faculty, uh, which was the best of the bunch by far, uh, and Disturbing Behavior, and as Mark pointed out, The Patriot, totally different type of movie, also does not hold up. And did you know that movie's fucking three hours long? Because I didn't remember that. If it's got Mel Gibson, it's three hours long. What? A, yeah, fair point. Does that equal, uh, is that equal two VHS tapes in the 90s? Oh, that's a good, I don't remember the Patriot VHS tape box. Wyatt Earp was definitely one of those double- cassette rentals so was titanic yeah it would have to be very close if it wasn't it was like right on the border of two tapes though 
but uh, un- probably surprising nobody. I know what you did last summer, and I still know what you did last summer are very bad movies. Uh, I know what you did last summer is better than I still know what you did last summer, but not by much. <laughs> Those are just wicked. They did not age well in the least. Now that's the one that has the yellow rain jacket murderer guy, right? Uh, well, I think it's black, but yeah, it's a fisherman who's a uh, with a hook hand. Well, he holds a hook. Yeah, we talked about this during our Scream episode about how, like, for a while, that was just, like, garbage, like, um, like costume design for, like, our killers for quite a while. Yeah. I didn't like those when they originally came out. I can't imagine they'd be any better 20 years later. They're even worse than you remember, I bet. I had never heard of Disturbing Behavior, but my wife suggested it. That one was interesting. Not good, not bad. Pretty much right down the middle. Uh, but The Faculty, that's a movie that I really liked and holds up surprisingly well. And even the CG isn't wicked bad. That was done here in Austin, I believe. Yeah, it was. And Robert Rodriguez directed it. So it's probably why it's the best of the bunch. So I still recommend that one if you're in for a 25-year-old movie. Does the soundtrack, is it all like 90s rock? Oh, yeah. They all had like Offspring and a bunch of bands like that sound like offspring that y'all are probably familiar with but to me just we're like oh these are other bands like offspring very heavy on that sound well john i know our audience wants to know does it slap uh for the faculty yeah i actually was like you know what i'm gonna go look this one up i did like that album uh the rest of them not so much just looking at the cast listing here we got josh harnett elijah wood and uh selma hayek and famke jansen that's some pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, and a pre-Daily Show John Stewart, which totally did not remember was in there. Oh, nice. So, man, this would have been... This is pre-Lord of the Rings. This is... Yeah, but he was still an up-and-coming actor at this point. Uh, what I read was it was while filming The Faculty, it, he auditioned for Lord of the Rings. So this was right on the cusp of all that. If you guys watch the uh, the Goonies um, commentary, they have like a video commentary like for the 20th anniversary or whatever DVD they put out um, in the middle of the video commentary, Sean Aston just disappears. And everyone's like, where'd Sean go? And they're like, Oh, he had to fly to like Australia or someplace to film some movie. I don't know. And he was leaving for Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I bet the whole cast of the Goonies is like, what an asshole, dude. We're in the middle of this thing. Where are you going? <laughs> All right. Well, Garrett, what have you been up to? Man, just hanging in there. Um, watching the world deal with this bullshit. But um, you know, I've been working on some pictures some art um i actually have a a new design that i've been toying with for the website and possibly like a promo image i should have that done hopefully in the next week or so and i'll throw that up on our instagram or whatever the hell other social medias we use so you guys can make fun of it out there you know classic internet behavior but um no other than that just yeah, we'll you know it up on myspace oh do we even have a myspace <laughs> i don't know can we make a new one we should just go make one <laughs> I hope not. Um, no, just, you know, just kind of hanging in there, surviving, watched a few movies, but nothing really horror related. That's about it. Right on. That's cool. Um, not horror related. I guess that you may consider a monster film, but I did watch The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Uh, my wife wanted to watch those. I think she's going to even make me watch Scorpion King, which I'm not looking forward to. Not the original, like, 19, like, old black and white ones, Oh, right? no, this is the Brendan Fraser ones, right? So, oh, they were, what, okay. 1999? <laughs> um, the first one is much better than the second one. Mark? By mile. I, yeah, I have to tell you, you need to, like, uh, walk carefully here, because I high-key love the fucking mummy. It is you one know, of my favorite movies. 
<laughs> I don't remember the Mummy Returns at all, to be honest. But the Mummy, I watch that movie probably once a year. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, the Mummy Returns uh, picks up after they've had a child, and he's like nine or something. And they go. Uh, the uh, Imhotep guy wakes up. They introduce the Scorpion King. They ride in a hot air balloon, and of course, there's a bunch of you know man uh, man-eating scarabs or whatever. It, it really dipped, and I'm not looking forward to watching the third one. And in fact, I don't even think I ever saw the third one. I couldn't tell you what it's about. Is the second one when they're in China, or is that the third one? I believe the third one is China, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Everything you guys are saying is making me so depressed for cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two and three, I, yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen three. And two, I know I saw, but can't remember at all. Yeah, for good reason. Uh, if you want to revisit the franchise, just watch the first one and be like, okay, that was basically an Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, whatever, you know, good, good enough. It's decent. All right. Well, unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about, like perhaps the Hellraiser reboot moving forward or the potential of a new Doom movie. Uh, no, we don't need to talk about any more <laughs> we don't need to talk about any more Doom movies for fucking years. I will I'm going to go ahead and that's my black ball veto right there. We're done with Doom for quite a while until the next movie. Um, we'll see if that actually comes out or not. Uh, but yeah, Hellraiser is getting a remake and they finally got a director attached to that thing. I uh, believe his name is David S. Goyer. Off the top of my head, I don't know what he's done. Are you guys familiar with him? I think that dude did some X-Files. Honestly, I think he did some X-Files stuff, man. Now, are we talking good X-Files stuff or, you know, season eight X-Files stuff? Hey, actually, season eight and nine had some dope-ass episodes. I mean, there was <laughs> some, some garbage in there, but they had some really good episodes. I'm ride or die late season X-Files also. All right, fair enough. I uh, don't know that I've seen the late seasons since they've aired, but in my mind, I remember them not being very enjoyable. I mean, the the misses were major misses. The hits were very solid, though, so it just kind of, you know, depends. But yeah, no, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm interested to see how they go with that, because, again, with the, with lately the reboots that they've been doing, like the kind of like, you know... Uh, ignore all this and continue from here reboot slash continuations I think they could probably do a really cool Hellraiser it just depends on if they're going to to really do it like justice oh um so this guy David S. Goyer is known for Dark City Batman Begins The Dark Knight Batman v Superman Terminator Dark Fate um Constantine Godzilla but he didn't direct those movies. Yeah, let me just let me just uh, let me clear that up. He Goyer is going to write and produce this. Oh. The uh, director director is going to be David Buckner. Okay, yeah. So Goyer wrote all the stuff I just said. But yeah, you're right, Garrett. He did. Uh, Goyer wrote all that stuff. Um, he also wrote Blade. Hmm. <laughs> well, that gives me hope. But also, I remember that Hellraiser movies are like two for eight in being good. So that takes out a lot of hope. You said uh, David Bruckner. He did the, the the ritual. He did the ritual VHS, the Nighthouse, Southbound, Creep Show, the uh, the Shutter series. He did some stuff for Creep Show on that. So this dude's got some got some chops. Okay, I think we can all agree it's going to be better than any of the last seven Hellraisers either way. So that's a very low bar to trip over. If he manages to trip, I'll be impressed. <laughs> Mark loves a good trip. <laughs> If they could even just get it in movie theaters, I would be amazed. 
That may be a harder feat nowadays, John, but yes, I know what you mean. Yes. So a real not direct to uh, DVD release. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye out on that. Hopefully that one's good. I would love a return to form of at least movie two, at least movie three, right? None of, no more of these detective finding the box at a murder scene, okay? Let's try something new. What would you guys do? What would you do with the Hellraiser 10 or whatever we're on? Wow. Honestly, that's... Oh, man. I wish y'all would have known about this beforehand because, number one, no fucking military. I'm done with the military following those guys around. No detectives. I'm done with those guys. No kids finding something and basically having to figure it out as they go. I'm done with that as well. Um, Honestly, I would like it to be found... I'd like to be to be found by someone who does not know what it is. Someone who's not looking for the pleasure or the pain or whatever, you know, someone who doesn't have an, an idea and unwittingly like opens it up and then is basically like taunted by it. Like, like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And then by seeking out help, they learn to they discover what it is and the the history of it. But the problem is is my movie would be four hours long. And inside of that four hours, there would be like massive backstory and history about like the Cenobites and all. I mean, it would be such a bad movie. It would, <laughs> someone would have to edit the fuck out of my version. All right. John, John can be your editor. Yeah. He'll, uh, he'll get it down to an hour and a half. We know how much he loves 90 minutes. That's it. Uh, all right. Hear me out, Mark. All right. So it takes place in Egypt in the 30s. Brendan Fraser will be the lead. God um, damn it. No. <laughs> I'm into it. Let's let's bring Brendan Fraser back. I'm in for that. Yeah, just remake The Mummy except it's Pinhead. That's my that's my take. I would love if that actually got off the ground and was made. Um I like your fantasy though. You know, keep that one in your brain. Make you happy later on when you're feeling down. All right. Well, let's get into today's movie. Today we're talking about 2007's Hatchet and this one is a throwback to the 80s slasher movie. Definitely the same formula we saw before. Um, that being said, do you guys feel that this one does anything original, or is it more just like a, I hate the phrase, but I'm going to use it right now, a love letter to the 80s slasher film? I don't even know if I'd consider it a a love letter to it. I I think the formula exists in such a, a timeless fashion. I mean, the 80s really kind of put it on the map, but... There's so little 80s aspects to this. I don't know if I consider. I think they just took like a a slasher formula and then made it its own thing in the early 2000s, um, because I everything is so early 2000s in this movie. Yeah, I would second that. It's very much a product of its time. Uh, I mean, it, to get it out of the way, I think it's great, but it's definitely an early 2000s movie from the humor to the setup. It's all very. I didn't really get 80s from it. Yeah, and and I don't mean so much as like the humor and style, but just kind of the formula, you know what I mean? Like there's six people out in the woods and they get picked off one by one by some sort of supernatural monster or something like that, right? That's kind of what I mean in terms of like it's lending, borrowing, and kind of going through that, uh, those those steps. But is he supernatural though? He most definitely is. Um, if you go through the series, they explain his backstory more and more. Now, if you want, you could argue at this point, maybe they didn't, you know, introduce that to the point where it was clear to the audience, you know what I mean? But yeah, it definitely in like two and three, they really um, lean into this idea that he was resurrected by curse. Is that right, John? You watched the sequels more recent than me. Yeah, the backstory. I mean, Garrett, you might like it because you love backstory, but good Lord, is it complicated and convoluted? And you just are like, 
how did people find out these rules? There's all kinds of weird rules, but yes, essentially he's like a a, a revenge demon kind of, uh, you know, like Japanese style, kind of like the grudge. That's essentially what he is. But I think you pick up on that in this movie too, because he does things that no human could actually do. So, and he's at least super strong. Yeah, I I mean, I get that. And I'll be honest, I've actually seen Hatchet 2 and 3, but at the time I was dating this girl and I didn't really pay attention to Hatchet 2 and 3 when they were on. Um, So I've technically heard Hatchet 2 and 3, but I I remember there's a scene with like a well um, that like a race car was being played on. Again, there's, (laughs) I remember pieces of it, but I don't remember them being like an actual like you know, supernatural element to it, but I should probably go watch them because I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, it was super good. Um, yep. I guess the most supernatural part is, I, th- I think it's two or maybe it's three. I don't know. They all run together, but like he apparently can only be killed if someone brings like the remains of his dad back to where he was originally killed, but it can't just be anybody. It has to be a descendant of the people who originally killed him. Uh... Other than that, he is immortal. It's and cannot be stopped. Jay, thanks for the spoilers, man. God, <laughs> it's you no. ruined it. <laughs> Why should he even watch it now? Good uh, job. <laughs> I don't think that was a spoiler. They tell you that like in the first fifteen minutes of the movie of the second movie. I think. Well, for someone who doesn't remember the second movie, that's a spoiler again. <laughs> well, this this movie franchise um, shares similarity to other series such as Star Trek. Um, in the fact that the every other movie is good. So, I, like Star Trek, all the odd ones are the good ones, right? Isn't that what they say, John? And then for this one, it's the uh, one, in, one in three are good, two in four, not so much. Wait a minute, Wrath of Khan was number two and Journey Home was number four. It's the even ones that are good. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, I had it backwards. So two, four, and six then, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Trekkies, don't kill me. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> Nerds, you can write to Mark at P.O. Box. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, one and three, I really enjoyed. Two and four. Eh. I think two is a must-watch just to get some of that backstory John was talking about. Uh, but the titled uh, movie that is just Victor Crowley, that's number four. That came out like a couple years ago. Um, I felt myself kind of losing interest at that point. Um, it just wasn't as smartly written as, as one or three, I think. Yeah, they really lost their way with two. Um, but because it's almost written as one continuous movie, you can't skip it. You just have to power through two to get to three where they regain their form. Actually, I read that they are one continuous movie, one through three. Like they, um, if you took out the credit scenes, like the movies would play back to back as one continuous um, like two day period. That makes sense considering the ending of this movie. So uh I never thought about it, but yeah, I could see that. You mean the smash cut to black? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. The first time I watched it, I thought something went wrong. Same here. Like, what the? Same here. <laughs> well, this one is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at a 54% with the critics and a 45% with the audience. Uh, 13,770. That is way too low. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it. This movie is definitely not a B-tier movie. I would call it maybe even like a C-tier movie. Wait, really? Yeah, I, I, just from the level of production and everything, it just looks like one of those movies you might catch on USA in between Silk Stockings and some other, you know, crime uh, show or something like that. That's kind of the vibe I was getting out of it myself. Uh, again, that's just based on the, the production values and like some of the acting in this movie, particularly our two quote unquote 
actresses. <laughs> Not to mean it's bad, though. I think that's why I found this movie so surprising and good is because I wasn't expecting literally anything from it. And I found myself laughing several times throughout the movie and just almost shocked by the level of gore this movie can produce, too. I feel weird being like like such a defender of this movie based off those scores because... Um, you know, you know me, I'm not really big on like schlocky writing and stuff like that. And yes, some of the writing in this like of its time feels a little bit dated, but overall, I can't think of I mean, other than like a few minor minor pacing issues, I couldn't think of a single thing that I thought was wrong with this film. Yeah, the the plot the plot is pretty simplistic, so it's not getting lost in any type of like muddled backstory not until number 2 anyway, but yeah, you're right. It's just kind of it just keeps going and going. And I guess the only thing that I could say is that it's about 40 minutes in or 48 minutes into the film until we finally see the titular hatchet get used. 47, 47 minutes and 22 seconds. I wrote it down because I was like, where the fuck is this dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with Mark, though. Like, if it wasn't for the nudity and the gore, I could see this being like a, a sci-fi movie or something. It it just sort of has that feel to it. And I really, really enjoyed it. But uh, I mean, I think some of the acting was a little, uh, um, you know, especially the main guy. I don't know that I really was ever bought into, you know, liking him or even the, the main lady. I mean, it was hilarious. So it was very funny. But the acting kind of left a little something to, you know, be desired. I, I don't know. I just I mean, I can see what you guys are saying. But like, again, I thought everyone for the roles they played. I mean, there were some people at times it was like, okay, you've made a choice. But I think everyone played it perfectly. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to rip this movie to shreds because there's a lot to, <laughs> to talk about here. But man, I just from start to finish, I remember like watching this for the first time a couple years ago and just being like, I'm buying this. Like, this is just that entertaining and awesome. Like, I think back to when my second favorite character gets bit in the leg by the alligator. And he's just like, oh, somebody help me. I'm being bit in the leg by an alligator. And I was like, mm, that is some really Z-tier acting there. <laughs> is that really your second favorite character? Oh, yeah. He was hilarious. Well, let me tell you who's in this movie. Yeah. Um, so this one is starring Joel David Moore. He plays Ben. Amara Zaragoza as Mary Beth Dunstan. Dion Richmond as Marcus. Kane Hodder as Victor Crowley. He also plays the dad, Mr. Crowley. Uh, Mercedes McNabb as Misty. Perry Shin as Sean. Joel Murray as Doug Shapiro. Jolie Fiore as Jenny. I'm sorry, Jenna. Richard Riley as Jim Permateo. John, that's your favorite character. Uh, that's that old dude who's been in stuff forever. He's in so many things, but I never know what his name is. He just kind of pops up in random roles. Every time I see him... I go, is that Wilfred Brimley? <laughs> and it is not. <laughs> he was in, um, you may know him from Office Space. He was the guy that got hit by the, the car and had the jump oh, to conclusions, yeah, Matt. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a jump <laughs> to conclusions, Matt. Uh, but also, Mark, he's my, uh, he's my second favorite character. Marcus takes this movie on his back and carries it across the finish line. That is my, I, that dude, I laughed every time he was on screen. I'm going to agree with you, dude. Marcus, Marcus was probably my favorite character in this movie, too. Um, okay, just to round this out, we've got Patricia Darbo as Shannon Permateo, and we have a, uh, what do they call that, a cameo, if you will, of Robert England as Samson 
in the beginning of the movie. You know how this movie is one step above sci-fi movies? The character names are different than the a- actor names. In a lot of these C-tier <laughs> movies, it's just the actor's first name is the name of the character. So at least we're a step above that. Yeah, good point. And I'm going to interject here because Mark mentioned uh, the cameo of Robert England, but did not mention the cameo of my dude, Tony Todd. Oh, shit. You're right. My bad. Okay. You could, you may <laughs> proceed, but I had to throw that in there because, Tony, we out here looking out for you, man. Yeah, yeah. What is his character's name? He's got a good name, doesn't he? Reverend Zombie. Perfectly named. Okay. Here's what the back of the DVD has to say about Hatchet. Everybody's On a haunted swamp tour of New Orleans, a motley crew of eight tourists and one guide are forced to abandon their sinking boat, leaving them stranded. However, it appears that they are not alone and at the mercy of one Victor Crowley, a hideously deformed man who was once mercilessly tortured by the locals and accidentally killed with a hatchet on Halloween. Local legend has it that Victor still roams the swamps, ripping people apart with his bare hands, and soon enough the tourists lay witness to the horrifying true nature of this supernatural madman. Hatchet is a modern-day interpretation of the late 70s, early 80s slasher movies directed by Adam Green and features horror icons such as Robert England, Kane Hodder, and Tony Todd. Filled with blood and gore galore, a Hatchet is a surefire winner for horror fans everywhere. That's a solid back of the box. Yeah, except it has a critical plot point incorrect that Mary Beth is not a tourist. She's a local. I can't even respect the back of this box if it got that wrong. That's it. We're canceling the movie. You blew it. <laughs> Wait, if we're going to nitpick about that, we should nitpick about how the fact the front of the box has an axe instead of an actual hatchet. Whole thing. Yeah, over. Oh, yeah. Good re- good point. <laughs> <laughs> I can say, guys, every time I go to New Orleans, I am once. I love going to New Orleans. That place is a lot of fun. I do always end up almost getting murdered. It's, it's, a, it's a testament to the truthfulness that this movie really shines a light in Louisiana. So if you guys are going to New Orleans, just know that only one of you will come back. Jesus Christ, Mark. What the hell, dude? (laughs) I've been to New Orleans a couple of times and have never been almost murdered. So I don't know where you're going, but wow. No, you just didn't know it was happening around you, John. You're the character. Like, what about Bob? You know, you're just wandering around. You had no clue of what was happening around you. Just oblivious. I could see that, actually. Well, I have a lot of questions about Mardi Gras. So let's get into this movie because um, I got questions and you guys better have answers. Okay, here's your answer, Garrett. You hand over beads to the ladies and they, they show you the titties. That's how that uh, whole thing works. I know, but what is the bead to dollar ratio? Do girls get to trade these beads in for money later on? Or are they just doing it to show their tits? I mean, what's the deal here? Uh, there is a no de- no bead to dollar transaction. They are just collecting beads to later throw on the ground. Wow, so it's just a whole pomp and circumstance thing. There's no real reason to it. Oh, I'm sure there's some... No, there's no end game. Yeah, there's probably some history to it, or like why it happens, or some, you know backstory but uh yeah there's no you don't do anything with the beads after you get them is my understanding why don't they just use dollar bills then instead like you know like instead of like the big round beads as big as your fist maybe throw a 20 great question you know okay a quick google search of why do people show tits for beads uh (laughs) gives me this answer um the color of the beads was determined by the king of the first daytime carnival in 1872 He wanted the colors to be royal purple for justice, gold for power, green for faith. 
The idea was to toss the color to the person who exhibited the color's meaning. And then I guess they just added titties later. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm always down for adding titties later. But I'm just saying, it just it's just the weirdest thing. Like, I watch, like, movies, and every time they show Mardi Gras, it's people throwing up everywhere. It's women getting plastic beads. Um, it's dudes falling over on themselves. I'm just like, how is this entertaining? Like, I do not see the, the appeal of going to Mardi Gras. Well, I think it's very appealing if you're, let's say, between 18 and 24. It's probably like the most appealing thing that you could possibly think of. So honestly, I think I think it's all about like getting caught up in a moment, Garrett. So you go to this place. This is what it's known for. There's so many people drinking. You can drink till 6 a.m. The bars don't shut down. You can drink on the street. It's just debauchery. And I guess people, when they get kind of caught up in that kind of social environment where everybody's okay with it and it's acceptable... People just do stuff they wouldn't normally do. I guess it's, I know? guess it's the thing that weirds me out is like spring break and Mardi Gras and all these things that people are like, oh, what happens in Vegas stays in It's like, look, if you really want to be like that, just be like that. You know, like you don't have to like have a special occasion. It's just so weird that they have these arbitrary like events and rules that like I'm willing to behave this way now, but it's like I won't elsewhere. It's like, dude, what's the point? Anyway, that's my old man moment. <laughs> I think it's exactly what you said. It's it's people that would not normally act like that, and it's kind of a pass. It's like, okay, for this one trip, you can go be an asshole and like throw beads at ladies and, and whatever you want to do, you know? So it's a get-out-of-jail-free card to be something you usually aren't, I guess. Just seems like way too much vomit involved. Tune into our next podcast, Holiday Talk, where Mark explains fun and holidays to Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about taking communion on Easter Sunday, Garrett. Here's why we do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> why do we give cr- Christmas presents? If you're going to give a present to somebody, just give it to him. Why do you got a special day for it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, this movie kicks off. We start off at a, at a, a Mardi Gras, Bourbon Street festival um a group of friends are having a real good time except for one our main character named ben he has just recently been broken up with and he's um kind of being a stick in the mud to the point where one of his buddies marcus decides that he's going to go ahead and keep him company ben's not having any of the drinking the fun the titties any of that uh which makes me question why did he even go on this trip mm-hmm. that's what i'm wondering i'm like yo there are tits a popping bro like you you should be I mean, I get it. Like, you know, you can't get over something super easy all the time. But, like, you're there to, like, break the cycle. Like, get into it. Maybe he was just peer pressured in, like, oh, you know, like, oh, you just got broken up with. And his two friends are just, come to New Orleans. That's how you'll clear your mind. And he was just so distraught, he kind of went along for the ride. That's more or less what I think did happen. But anyone listening here, if you are in a mood that's going to be a stick in the mud, just do your friends a favor and just sit it out. (laughs) <laughs> like, if you're not even going to try, just stay home. Yeah, we discussed this in midsummer when, like, um, Homegirl was like, you shouldn't even have come. Like, you should have stayed home. You're just being a fucking drag for everybody. Yes, exactly. Just like that. I did skip over one part. This movie This movie does start off with um, some backwater boys doing some uh, gator hunting. And this is where we get our uh, cameo from Robert England. And then they um, they are attacked by an alligator, which they're actually out there hunting. And then... One of the characters has to pee and cannot do it because Robert England is sitting too close to him or something. I don't know. Do you guys have a problem peeing in front of other people? Mm, I don't know. Maybe that close might be weird. I, I don't think I've ever done it. But just in general, like at like in a bathroom, like if someone's in the urinal next to me or whatever, no. 
Oh, okay. It just seemed weird that he he like had to like go to land to to pee away from Robert England. I was like, dude, you're on a boat. Just piss over the edge. But anyway, he drives. Robert England takes the boat to the shore. He gets off. He's taking a leak, and then they're attacked by something we don't know what, but it's not the Gator. Then we're introduced to our characters are out uh, having a good time on Mardi Gras, uh, Bar- Bourbon Street. Um, so Ben is. He's heard from somebody, and I don't know, remember what he said exactly, but someone told him about some haunted tour. These are pretty common. You know, if you go to New Orleans, there's always going to be, hey, let's walk through the cemetery, and someone you pay somebody money, and they'll tell you kind of the history of the place. Um, so this is definitely lies in, in, in the same vein as something like that. So they go head over to a place, which was it called Dr. Zombie's Haunted Boat Tour or something? Or what was Tony Todd's business called? Do you remember? It's like Reverend Zombie's Voodoo Shop or something like that. I do want to go back like three minutes because I think one of my favorite lines is also in the lead up to the scene where Marcus, you know, agrees to go. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh, thank you for coming on the swamp tour. Marcus goes, I'd rather skin my own dick. I was like, damn, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. He does say that, which I was like, that is fucking harsh. Yeah. But yeah, they go they go to Tony Todd's shop. This right here is my favorite part of the whole movie like hands down from start to finish. This scene with Tony Todd is it for me. And they're like, hey, we um, it's closed. And he's like, no, I'm going to knock. Um, and it's Ben, who basically looks like Bobo Matthew Illard. And then Marcus, who is like pre-Kevin Hart. They knock on the door <laughs> and then Tony Todd opens it up and like, we hear you give haunted boat tours. He's like, I do not give haunted boat tours anymore. And then um, he gives this great like little monologue of why he doesn't do it. And it's because he got sued by somebody who tripped and slipped on a step. <laughs> and so that's why he doesn't give the haunted boat tours anymore. And then as he's done, he's like, you can go down to so-and-so's, he'll do them. And then as, like, they're turning away to walk. He goes, and be careful walking on the sidewalk. And I, I love that line. The way he delivers it was just so perfect. Yes, he does a really great job. He wrote in my notes, Tony Todd is so good at being Tony Todd. It was so enjoyable. Yeah, his delivery of the um, story of leading up to he got sued is told in like this dark, you know, legend, you know, kind of like a campfire story. You know, the music stings are there. And it's like, yeah, he just got sued. It was it's a really great scene. Oh, I did want to add our lead star, Joel David Moore. He was in that movie Grandma's Boy, which came out a year before this. So if you want to feel even more dated, he was in that movie. I was wondering like, with this, if this was his first movie before that or because like, I was like, this guy's done some like serious work now. But um, at the time, I think he was still in very much those like um, Saturday Night Live movies. Yeah, this dude is actually uh, slated to be in the next seven Avatar movies that come out in like 2030 2040 or what whenever those finally come out but he's in those oh you mean avatar like the james cameron ones yeah exactly jesus just again another example of like the world not actually wanting something and someone with money being like oh this is what you want you're gonna like it it's like (laughs) dude fuck off i know dude it's been 12 years since the that movie came out nobody cares anymore yeah i respect his passion though oh god I'm passing. I'm going to pass hard on that. Thank you, John. Oh, he's going to make you care with like 77 more of them. And they're each going to be a day and a half long. (laughs) So after they leave Tony Todd's place, uh, the movie cuts to uh, not the first, but probably the most prominent example of gratuitous nudity where we just see two topless chicks making out and they're being filmed by this 
director. Yeah, we meet them. Ben and Marcus walk in, and that's where we meet the tour guide, um, whose name I can't remember. Is it Sean? Sean. But he has a name. What's his, like, performance name? Yeah, I can't remember either. It's basically, like, imagine, like, the most racist, like, Asian stereotype pretending to be Creole, (laughs) but also trying to be, like, a classical magician. It's the weirdest thing. Like, honestly... I'm I'm glad they went so over the top with it because it made it so ridiculously hilarious. To yeah, me. it was crazy, but hilarious. Um, so they're like, hey, do you do the swamp tours? And Sean's like, yes, it'll be $50, I think. Um, and then Marcus is like, hey, can you spot me? And Ben goes, did you have any cash? He's like, no, I'm just not paying for this shit. I was like, hilarious. Yeah, he definitely probably shouldn't have to. Yeah, right. Uh, Then I think the next step is they're all going on board the bus that's going to take them to the swamp, and that's where we meet the rest of the the crew of this movie. Ben meets Mary Beth in a really awkward scene. I'm Ben. Mary Beth. Mary Beth, that's a great name, because it's actually two names, you know. Most people just have one, and that's Kind of boring. <laughs> ben. But Mary Beth, it's, you know, it's Mary and it's Beth. That's a nice coat. So do you have any pets or? The, ba- the And Marcus, Marcus makes that scene even better because like he's giving him looks and then he like at some point hits him in the back of the head. He's like, the fuck you doing, man? Stop. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, and she's like having no, she's like, look, I didn't come here to make friends. I want to get my $30 worth of this tour by looking out this window. We meet Jim and Shannon, the older couple. And, uh, this is where we find out that the people we saw making out were these porn stars in training, I guess. And Doug is the film person there. Yeah. Doug Shapiro is like the character's name and he's basically kind of like, uh, making a girls gone wild type video. So these two girls are with him Yeah, and he's just having them do very lewd things for the camera and they're on board for it, which is just so weird that anybody would be like, yeah, cool. I'll follow you random person with a camera and do crazy shit. And so Doug meets Jim and he's like, oh yeah, I'm a director. Nice camera. Making a movie. Yeah. Well, what do you know, Lovekins? We've got ourselves a director over here. How exciting. What kind of movie is it? Well, have you ever heard of Bayou Beavers? Sure. No. No. The comedy writing in this movie was spot on. And you know me, I'm pretty picky about my comedy. It has to be, it can't be like, like, oh, we're so funny. Like, it really has to be like witty. And they did such a great job in this movie of every joke, every, there's a scene later on where Marcus is taunting Victor Crowley. And he's like, come on, motherfucker, me and you one-on-one, let's go. And then he immediately ducks down and looks back and forth like, oh shit, I hope he didn't hear me. Like he's trying to play tough, but immediately demurs into this kind of like, (laughs) I may have gone too far. Like all the jokes and all the subtle comedy in this works so well. It's like Tucker and Dale love. Yes. This movie does remind me of Tucker and Dale. I think it's less polished but very funny in that same vein you know i want to ask if if we have any listeners that live in louisiana i would like to know if the city of new orleans actually allows someone with a camera to follow around ladies who just pop their tits out every 10 seconds is that okay because it sure wouldn't be okay here right i mean that's what they're what doug shapiro and these two actresses are doing like every it feels like when there's a lull in the movie, it's like, and titties, you know, like just <laughs> filling in the gaps, really. 
Mark, how do you think the how do you think the grave talk is funded, bro? Like this is, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm I'm behind the scenes paying the bills, making sure the fucking like internet stays on. We got to do something. Okay, I appreciate it, Garrett. I didn't know about this. Wow, I didn't know we had a whole separate enterprise. Do you not read my <laughs> newsletter? Jesus, that goes to my spam <laughs> bucket. <laughs> Uh, I think, Mark, it's allowed in some places, at least. I remember when I was in college and Girls Going Wild was still a thing and that bus would come up. Uh, it felt like, I mean, I never saw the police around anywhere. So, yeah, I think I think you can, or especially during Mardi Gras, where rules are already kind of loose. Just like the women. Boom. True, but that seems like it should be um, only to, like, maybe delegated in bourbon street or you know in those areas but they were definitely seemingly just going around anywhere they were in that guy's shop i imagine sean said it was fine they were in the then the rest of it was on the bus or like in front of the like in the swamp essentially where there's no laws in the swamp mark just the laws of nature that's just swamp law baby (laughs) (laughs) i want to know more about swamp law see swamp thing I have a quick question about New Orleans, because how big is New Orleans like as a city? Because when they get on that bus, it is arguably like one or two in the afternoon and then they drive until it's dark. Now, is it like is New Orleans like a three hour town? Is it like that big? That was one thing I put in my notes. It makes no sense how far they drive in that bus. Uh, New Orleans is like right on the swamp, uh, maybe like an hour away if you want to go to some special lockdown swamp. In three hours, you could be like into Texas. So I don't know where the hell they're driving. Yeah, New Orleans is a 350 square miles population of 391,000 people. So um, that drive did not quite add up. You're right, Garrett. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, random random uh, uh, factoid here. Girls Gone Wild sold 4.5 million videos in 2001, and by the end of 2002 had produced 83 different movies. Wow. Having beat the amount of episodes that the Grave Talk podcast has put out, though, that's the question. <laughs> We're still here, baby. Where are you at, Girls Gone Wild? <laughs> uh, made more money, that's for sure. I think that guy's in jail now, so that's where they're at. Hey, you think Girls Gone Wild was wild before? Just wait you see what these girls do when Snoop Dogg is unleashed and takes control of the camera. So what do we do now? We get we get to our location and get on the boat, right? We get that very long bus ride. It's just full of some character interactions. And eventually they're at the swamp and we see this tour boat, which is hardly a boat. It is, uh, in the loosest sense of the word, a boat. It's like a party pontoon. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like someone built it over the weekend. And then they take off into the uh, the swamp, and they're going to do the tour. And the whole time, um, Sean's character, the uh, I I got I can't remember his character's name, but the Creole Asian character, um, he's just given like all these random wrong factoids. Is like the reason you know we we bury people above the ground is because we don't want the spirits to get. And then someone's like, isn't it just because the water level's so high? And he's like, no. <laughs> and so they get in this argument. He's like, look at that. Look at over there. There's like spirits. And it's like, that's actually just uh, luminescent swamp gas. And he's like, he starts cussing in like some like, you know, foreign Asian language that um, totally breaks his character. And at that point, everyone's realizing, okay, what the hell was that? Why is this dude like suddenly losing his like New Orleans accent? Um, and then they hit a rock. And he kind of, he's like, if you're not out here to enjoy this, why are you here? And then they hit a rock and the boat gets stuck. Yeah, I felt bad for him. I felt bad. Like he was a very shitty tour guide, but uh, they were all really busting his balls. It was funny, but I did feel bad. Like, oh, this guy's really just trying and uh, and his tour, you know, 
people are having none of it. And I don't know what this says about me exactly, but my favorite part of the movie is at the point where they're in, they're getting into the boat and they're taking off. And then our harbinger of doom rose up and we get this like kind of scraggly looking fisherman. He's like, you're all going to die out there. And (laughs) Sean says something like, like, oh, don't listen to him. That's old crack jacker. He drinks his own piss. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see him. And then he proceeds to drink his own piss. (laughs) So they reminded me of the grave uh, digger from Jason 6 or whatever, where he's like, Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's he's the he's the uh, like you know we learned from Cabin of the Woods. You got to have the guy at the gas station or the old man at the camp screaming, "You're all gonna die." So uh, it's, uh, this movie's having fun with that particular trope. Uh, this movie hits all the tropes, which is really nice because it, it hits all the tropes, but they do it in such a way that like kind of makes them I don't want to say feel fresh, but makes them entertaining. Because so often we see these kind of things and it's like, oh, okay, we we know what this is, but they. They present it in a way that was like, we know what this is, but I still enjoyed that, which was kind of nice. And again, I think that's why I enjoy this movie is it's it's familiar, but it's also just different enough to keep me in, engaged, which I really appreciated. Yeah, they were very self-aware of what they were doing. Yeah, there's another part that's much later in the film, but they go to set the monster on fire and then it starts raining immediately. And our main character is like, you got to be fucking kidding me, because that's exactly what we'd be saying in that, you know, as the audience. <laughs> You know what's funny is that line right there is actually repeated in every um, Hatchet movie. Hmm. That's like the one line that gets repeated by a different character in each movie. Oh, is it really? Interesting. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, it's a choice they made to basically have like that line be said each movie. Kind of like their their trademark line almost. But yeah, so they hit a rock and uh, at this point they're like, what happened? And he's Sean's trying to play it off and he's like, ah, fuck it. We hit a rock, you know, like. Everyone's like, oh my God, we're sinking. So they start to sink. They have to get off the the boat, if you will, if you want to call it a boat. And they have to go to shore. They are <laughs> arguably maybe, what, 10 feet from the shore, I think? Yeah, I didn't understand. And the water didn't actually seem that deep. I didn't understand why they didn't just walk to shore. It, it, it turned out to be this really traumatic problem, but the boat was so close to shore. Well, they're trying to walk across this little tree branch that like is right next to where the boat crashed on the rock and like reaches to the the shore. But the thing is, is there's a scene where a gator uh, attacks your dude's uh, leg, the big guy's leg. And um, they're like, quick, alligators are going to be like attracted to this, which I don't think alligators are attracted to blood like that. Yeah, Mary Beth shoots the alligator and that's where we find out she has a gun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, oh, and they're yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, that blood's going to attract gators, which I agree. Uh, that's sharks, not alligators, but whatever. Everyone's on shore except for the two actresses and Doug Shapiro. And they're all in this tree branch. And then Doug falls over and ends up pulling both girls into the water. And at this point, the girls get up, stand up, and run to shore. And he's trying to swim in literally like a foot of water. I was like, you idiot. You just watched the girls stand up and walk to shore. Like, <laughs> why are you trying to swim? And there's like this gator coming at him, so it's supposed to be all intense. But if you paid attention to any of your surroundings, you know that he could just stand up. <laughs> so the scene kind of loses a lot of momentum for me in that point. Because I'm just like, dude, you're, at this point, you deserve to be eaten if you get eaten. Also, they make it, they must have really wanted sharks, but they're like, fuck, we're in the swamp. Because alligators can go on land. That's like a whole thing. They can just, there's no reason. It's not (laughs) like if you just got on land, suddenly you're safe. They could have just followed you. But, you know, the movies move so fast, you don't really think about it. But land offers no safety from alligators. 
I would love if they cut back to the gators in the water. It's like, well, damn, Ted, now what are we going to do? I don't know. Hey, guys. <laughs> yeah, Carl, what's up? We can go on land. Oh, well, fuck this. Let's go. <laughs> you know, like I would have loved for a scene like that. As they're arguing on shore after they all managed to get to the shore, uh, Mary Beth dumps the info on what's actually happening. You know, Sean was wrong about where Victor Crowley's house was. They're actually now standing directly in front of it. And we find out that she's the daughter of Robert England's character, that was murdered at the beginning of the movie by the um, the off-scene monster, which is Victor. Um, him and her brother were killed, and I think she doesn't know that quite yet. I think she stumbles on their dead bodies later, but she's out there looking for them. And she is fully bought into the uh, mythology of Victor Crowley. Yeah, at this point, you're exactly right, because at this point, she as she's telling this story, we actually cut to a flashback, which is the origins of Victor Crowley. She's like narrating it. And we get to see Kane Hodder, and we learn that Victor Crowley was born deformed, and he was picked on by the other kids, and that um, his dad was like, fuck it, I'm going to take care of you. you know, like, And I, I got to give it to Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder's face and his expressions and his acting during this flashback scene are fucking great. Yeah. Like, they're so good. They use the term picked on, though, very loosely. They're throwing fucking firecrackers at this guy's house. Uh, that seems way beyond like picked on, but maybe that's how people get bullied in Louisiana. I don't know, but I was like, Jesus Christ. Swamp law. <laughs> Swamp law. That's right. <laughs> swamp law. I already forgot. But... Your honor, I would like to go ahead and invoke swamp law. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your honor, swamp law dictates that firecrackers are totally permissible. He's got a point. Um, so, yeah, they throw firecrackers at his house and you realize that uh, the house catches on. We don't realize you see the house catch on fire and uh, Victor Crowley is going to burn alive inside of it. And at this point, Victor Crowley's I want to say, maybe 20 something years old, maybe like late teens. Um, but Kane Hodder, the dad, comes up and he's trying to um, chop the door open with a hatchet. Victor's against the door trying to push it open and Kane Hodder accidentally like cuts through the door and smashes the axe into Victor Crowley's head and he thinks he killed his son. So he leaves and he basically evidently dies 10 years later of heartbreak and no one has ever heard from Victor Crowley again. They think he died. And so then we cut back to all the people in the swamp and she's like, and and Sean goes, yeah, but they're not even near here. And then the girl goes, no, that's his house right there. And they point to it. It's like, what, 50 feet away? Like, you would not tell a whole story about Victor Crowley and not point out, well, that house right there is Victor Crowley's. And as soon as she points to the house, lightning and thunder go off. It's like, no, it's right there. It's like, oh, I love so this movie. Great. <laughs> I, um, I really enjoyed the part of the story, uh, the flashback story, when she's like, and then he just sat in his chair for 10 years and died of sadness. And I was like, really? Really? 10 years didn't move? It's a long time to die of sadness. Have you ever accidentally killed your son, Mark? I mean, you don't know. Good point, Garrett. I'm assuming here, and I should not assume. Well, Padme died in like 35 seconds, so <laughs> that was also of sadness. <laughs> Kane Hodder is just a little bit tougher than old Padme. Takes a little bit longer to die of sadness for him. I guess so. Um, yeah. So there, then the the older couple, the uh, the Jim and, and Shannon, was it? Yeah, it's Jim and Shannon. Um, he's injured, and they need to find a phone, right? They're like, we got to find a phone and, and get some help out here. And everybody's like, I ain't going in that house after that spooky ass story she just told. So Shannon's like really trying. You know, I can't falter for this. Her husband's could be dying of a gator bite. You know, it's like we got to get some help out here. So they start wandering towards the house. 
because apparently the only road in and out of this area also is behind the house. So they start stomping off to the house and she's like, don't worry, you know, the Lord's on our side. They're she's giving him all this huge pep talk and... Hey, we're in 47 minutes into the movie. Victor Crowley comes out and hatchets poor Jim in fucking half. Uh, it is brutal. Which, let's point out, yes, So, and he busts out that door. That scared the fuck out of me. I'm I'm not usually a big like jump scare guy when it comes to like monsters, but man, I jumped when he, jumped, when he busted out of that door. I was like, oh, good God. And yeah, he hatchets um, Jim in half with uh, his hatchet. Let's point out the only kill with a hatchet in this entire movie. Oh, yeah. Ooh, good point. Shannon naturally loses her mind uh, and starts running away. And this is where we find out Victor Crowley also super fast because he sprints after her, catches her and rips her head in half uh, from her mouth. And then I was like, whoa, these gore effects are legit. They do such a good job. Uh, but that was pretty intense to watch, too. Oh, yeah. When he like pops her head back like a fucking soda can and just like lifts and rips it's so fucking disgusting did you know there was no cg in this movie except to edit out like certain wires and stuff like that from the the frame wow yeah it's supposedly all practical effects the only thing they used uh for cg in post was to remove any kind of like wires or tracking or something like that they saw in the scene um but all the gore effects and stuff like that were all practical well it came out awesome and this this head rip mind you just to kind of give the listeners an idea it is Hands in mouth, pulling head and jaw in opposite direction. And like Garrett said, just like opening up a can of soda, that thing just like tears and it's just blood spraying everywhere. It's like a geyser coming out of her head and the tongue is just like lashing around in the in the cavity of the mouth. It's whoa. I was so yeah. surprised when that happened. I was just like, holy shit. Uh, so, Garrett, this made me think of you, though, because I know you're a fan of Fast Jason. What do you think of speedy Victor Crowley? I love Speeder, Speedy Victor Crowley. I thought it made him so much more intense. I thought it made him an actual imposing force. Don't get me wrong. I love Slow Jason too when it calls for Slow Jason. But I love I love a fast, not like supernatural fast, but um, because that shit fucks me up. But like someone who is is like seven foot and that muscular and something like that will be able to outrun you, outpace you, and just his natural like like I don't know what the word is. Uh, not glide, uh, stride, or whatever it is. Gate. Gate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Gate. Um, will make him seem like incredibly fast. And so I loved the fact that like his like slow looking run was super fast to catch up to people. Um, it really made this Victor Crowley character super intense. And on top of that, the makeup and the the um, the costume effects for Victor Crowley. You know, I don't usually get down for the whole mutant deformed monster thing. It doesn't really like, it's not like my favorite trope, but man, Victor Crowley looked fucking scary as hell. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. And and Kane Hodder does such a good job of playing up that intensity. You know, obviously he's a veteran at this point, um, but man, he, I think he just takes like every role so seriously. And I think that even shows in movies like, you know, Garrett doesn't like Jason goes to space, but um, even in Jason 10, he's got that new costume and he's still playing it very seriously and very, um, it, it just, it shows in this role. Definitely. Agreed. Yeah. It, he definitely comes across as the kind of guy who takes his work like seriously in the fact, not like, like seriously in the fact that he's not fun to work with, but just like, we're here to do a job and we're going to do the best fucking job we can do. And it comes across, it really does. And even his acting outside of the makeup in this movie I would. I honestly liked it. I was like, "Yo, I'd like to see Kay Hodder do some more outside of the mask acting." 
uh, based off what I saw here. But yeah, no. So Victor Crowley is just a force at this point. And I couldn't quite tell if he was supernatural. I mean, he definitely ripped that woman's head apart. So I was like, oh, he's got the supernatural strength. But I didn't know if he was like legit supernatural or just like wicked roided up. Yeah. Well, and then after he rips that lady's head off, Mary Beth shoots him a bunch of times. Uh, He falls down. But it's way too early in the movie for our, our monster to be dead. So naturally, he just gets back up and starts uh, chasing him again. And this is when everyone gets away and they start arguing over like Doug got um, Doug, the um, the quote unquote filmmaker got lost during this. Um, the two actresses are arguing. And mm-hmm. when, we, when we point out actresses, we're talking like they, they make these characters out to be like bimbos, like just dumb as hell. They... It's some of the stuff they say is just ridiculous how like stupid they can be. They're arguing. Uh, Marcus and Sean start to argue because Marcus blames Sean for this. And that's when like Sean loses his like Creole and Asian accent completely. <laughs> and um, they're like, wait a minute, what the hell? And he's like, okay, so my name's Sean. Um, I'm from, you know, and he just goes to this whole little like, he's not even from New Orleans. He just basically set up shop because his brother said they could make some money there. Yeah, and it's it, it even goes to the point where he adapts some sort of like stereotypical Asian accent. And then he ends up dropping that later too. So it's like this dude is just like a con man, a a low level con man. Yeah. Which is, it's so weird though. Cause like I was watching it the first time I was, I was like, I don't think that's a real Asian accent. I think that dude is like really hamming it up. And then when he drops it, I was like, Oh, he, he, he gave us the twofer. He gave us the double accent. Nice. <laughs> yeah. He incepted us, dude. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, the actor Perry Shin, uh, he's in every single uh, Hatchet movie. Wait, how is that possible? Okay, hold on. Let's get to some of these more kills because then I have a question. How is that even fucking possible? He plays different people. It's, it's not the same character. Okay, okay. Because Sean gets killed in, in just a minute. And because um, at this point... They're looking around. They're like, where's Doug? Doug, the uh, the filmmaker, is hiding in a bush. And he's like, I'm going to get out. And he runs out. Victor Crowley grabs his head, who he runs right into, and spins it around 360 degrees and then just like, just like twists it off like a fucking bottle cap. And his head just starts spurting blood everywhere. Yeah. Oh, really good kill. I enjoyed this too. Yeah. Very intense scene. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. <laughs> nicer guy. <laughs> The rest, the remainder of our uh, our shipwrecked folk, come across his dead body, and they go through his wallet and find out he's not actually a director at all. He's just some dude, I guess, who was making his own videos for his own amusement, if you will. His own personal collection. Yeah, they find out he's been faking it and just does this to like dupe girls in, and then one of the girls like goes, "I can't believe I've fallen for this thing three times now," and it's like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> like you just want to you want to give her a hug and be like, "Please come with me." Like you don't need to be out in public by yourself anymore. You need an adult. Yeah, and they try to find a phone, right? And they find um, it was the blonde actress's name. I forget her name, uh, but they find her phone. And she's supposed to be calling for help, but instead she's like going through her voice messages. And I thought it was so hilarious when she goes, ew, Scott Barnes called me. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) So they find Doug's body, as we said. They basically find out he's a fraud. And then at this point, they're like, well, what are we going to do? We got to follow the river. And there's a little bit of argument over what they should do. And then they decide to kind of split up. Um, I don't know why uh, Ben, our main character, and Mary Beth uh, go 
off by themselves. Or they go to look for somebody, I think. They're still looking for her dad, right? So I think they were trying to find out where they might be. Yeah. Uh, which they come across the, the severed bo- or the dismembered bodies of her dad and brother inside of Crowley's house. Exactly, exactly. And while they're off doing that, Marcus, Sean, and the two girls are, you know, standing around and they hear a noise coming from a bush. And they're like, oh my God. And this scene's great because it's kind of like a, a medium or actually kind of like a, like a, a long shot of um, of all the characters standing on one side of the frame and then the bush on the other side of the frame and it's rustling. And they're like, I'm not going to go check it out. So finally, Marcus goes to look because they decide that if it's somebody who needs help, they can't just leave him or her. And so he goes and it's a raccoon and they're like, oh, it's just a little raccoon. And at that point, Victor Crowley busts out of the, um, like from right behind where those characters are standing he grabs the the brown-haired actress and takes a belt sander to her mouth and like belt sands off her lower jaw, which is just disgusting as all hell. And then Sean runs up to try to help her and he swings, uh, Victor Crowley swings a shovel and cuts Sean's foot off like with one clean swipe, which I was like, okay, that's I've used a shovel enough in like the ground and, and on stumps and things like that to know that that had to be hard as hell. But um, cuts his foot off. So Sean's on the ground screaming. The girl with no bottom like mouth is crawling off. Victor Crowley takes the shovel, puts it in fucking Sean's mouth or is on his neck. It's in his neck. Yeah. It's in his neck. And then like pushes the shovel down, pops his head clean off. So Sean is dead. He's got no head, no foot. Then he goes over. And the, the shovel is stuck in the ground straight up for where his, his neck was. He goes and picks up the girl who he belt sanded off the mouth of, picks her up, and then impales her on the, the handle of the shovel, and then, like, pushes her all the way down. Like, to add insult to injury, he doesn't just impale her on it. He, like, kind of pushes her all the way down to the base of it. And I was like, holy crap, the kills in this are, like, insanely gory. And they're done very well, which, for this level of, like, as you guys kind of said you know, sci-fi-esque movie, like the kills and stuff are like completely well done. Yeah, no shortage of creativity in these movies with the kills. That's definitely one of its strong suits for sure. This movie is also shot on a budget of $1.5 million. And man, they use that money wisely. Wait, that's it? That's it, man. Jeez. Um, it's uh, As of now, it's made over $8 million in in sales, but that doesn't include rentals. It was uh, a pretty big rental uh, hit for these guys, um, obviously it led to three more movies. So, wow, that's actually for what they did for only a million million five. That's really impressive. Yes, most definitely. Um, so obviously, after so much death and destruction, they all kind of scatter. They get together again, um, which are survivors now. So we've got Marcus, the blonde girl, Mary Beth, and Ben. And they're like, okay, we aren't going to get out of here. We have to fight him. And their plan is to lure him back to his house and set him on fire with the gasoline tanks that they saw in the shed when they were scouring his house earlier. So they use Misty to be like the guard, I guess. And Mary Beth and Marcus are out there acting as bait. And that's, I think, where we see the funny scene uh, that you were talking about earlier, uh, Garrett, where Marcus is like, well, you're afraid I'll kick your ass again. And then he like <laughs> ducks and starts looking around. Yeah, he's he's talking. He's talking so big. He's just talking and taunting um, Victor Crowley to get him to come out. 
And it's just so funny because like he's selling the like he's selling the taunts. He's like really talking shit. And then he like immediately is like, okay, I got to pull this back because he realizes what he's up against. (laughs) But it's great because the taunting doesn't work. Crowley like completely ignores Sean's taunts and goes straight for Ben inside his house where he's getting the gas can and items together. Yeah. So it turns out he's actually very smart. He's a smart killer, which I think makes it even more scary. Um, He comes out and he throws Misty's body just right at Ben. Damn, man, imagine getting knocked out by someone else's dead body. Uh, But Ben manages to recover. He throws the gas onto uh, Victor. Mary Beth sets him on fire. uh, And we're like, sweet, victory. Uh, But then, like Mark mentioned, it starts raining and pretty much immediately douses him. And that's when Mary Beth says, okay, this will at least has bought us some time. Let's not waste it. So they start to run off. Um, but I want to take a moment like, and ask you, Mark, because you, you know a lot about Kane Hodder. Like, he was, like, all the scars and stuff he has is from a, an accident where he got burned doing a stunt, right? Yeah, early on in his career, he, um, and, and this is all inside his documentary, I think, Helen Back is what it's called. Uh, but he was set up to do a stunt for a news crew for some segment on the local news and it completely went wrong, right? I think it might have been the first or second time he'd ever been lit on fire. Um, and he just, he got severely, severely burned to the point where he had to go into um, rehabilitation. He had to go to a rehabilitation center where he spent a lot of time recovering from that. Um, and he said, you know, the next time after going through that, getting set on fire again, it was super scary, but he knew he just had to do it. Um, and I think even, I think, was it your favorite Friday the 13th, John? Was it number seven where they set him on fire in the basement? Uh, maybe I haven't watched seven in a while. Yeah. I was really like, kind of like, it it made me kind of nervous when they like lit Victor Crowley on fire. Cause I knew that was Kane Hodder. And I was like, oh man, I remember he has the past where he got, and I know he got past it. I know he like, I, I think in his documentary, he says that like, he knew he had to do it to face his fear again and overcome it. But like, Every time they engulf that man in flames, I'm always just like super nervous for him. Like, oh God, I hope he's okay, <laughs> you know, because he was fully engulfed in uh, that scene. But yeah, so Victor Crowley goes down, the rain starts, they realize they have limited time. So they start running away and then they run into a cemetery. And I don't know much about, I've never been to Louisiana, I've never been to New Orleans. I don't know much about the swamp or swamp law, but. That was a huge fucking cemetery for being in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it didn't make its location didn't make sense. It was a interesting place to have a chase scene, but uh, why would there be this gigantic cemetery in the middle of an abandoned swamp? Can't can't think too much, I guess. New Orleans and Louisiana are are I, I think I might have mentioned it earlier, but they're definitely known for their cemeteries. Um, I I. Could be wrong here, so if you anybody from Louisiana want to correct me, I think part of the issue is that the uh, all of New Orleans is actually below sea level, so they do more of a mausoleum style uh, burials. Yeah, more so than than burying them in the ground. I think that there's something there, and that's why that these are so prevalent. No, I, that all totally makes sense. It's the location of the cemetery, though, being right next to uh, this house, which. Also, apparently, there's nothing else by it. It's like this house, a cemetery, and a swamp full of alligators. Well, that's the thing. It's like it, the the house of Victor Crowley in the area that they're in, 
looks like everything's made out of decrepit wood. You know, your your standard like rundown swamp shacks and stuff like that. And then out of nowhere, there's these big concrete mausoleums and like massive like graveyard all above ground with concrete. And it's like, well, if they have the like concrete technology, how come they're not using any of that on their their buildings elsewhere? So it was just a little like it felt a little out of place. But yeah, it was super creepy. But they're running around. They're trying to get away in the uh, cemetery, and then they they see a gate. And I guess this is the gate to freedom. <laughs> they just instinctually know it. Um, and as they're running, Sean gets grabbed by Victor Crowley. No, and that, Marcus. He starts, Sean's, Marcus, Sean's long dead. Yeah, this is where the movie breaks yeah. my heart, unfortunately. R.I.P., Sean. We miss you. But um, yeah, he grabs Marcus, starts flinging him around, throwing him against mausoleums, and then gets him on his knees, grabs his arm, puts his foot in his back, and then like pushes him forward and rips his arms off like both of them at the same time. It is the craziest kill. I was like watching it going like, yeah, like my, my shoulders hurt watching the scene. I was like, poor oh, dude, no, I thought he I'm was going to make it. Cause it's so close to the end. Yeah. I was, I was sad to see him go. And Ben doesn't really even have enough time to, um, feel bad about it for long. That's one thing this movie did weird that like everyone kind of took these deaths. I mean, except for the wife uh, at the very beginning, Took these deaths as kind of like, oh shit, oh well, we got to keep running. And I get the survival aspect of it, but no one had broken down the way I think seeing like multiple people murdered in front of you would break down, which I kind of was like, I wanted a little more reaction from some of the characters, but for what it was, I thought it worked. But yeah, so at this point, Ben and Mary Beth are our two last survivors, and they're, I, I swore they were going to try to interject this whole like love relationship at the end, and I'm so glad they didn't because. I hate when that happens. I hate when like you take a male and a female character and then they're just supposed to love each other because they went through something. I'm like, fuck you. Like in speed, like I hate that shit. But um, anyway, so they're trying to get away. And as they're like running back and standing there talking, I guess Victor Crowley throws a giant iron rod from like the woods and it impales right in Ben's foot. Yeah, that sucked. Like a perfect hit. Uh, Big time. You didn't like that one, John? John, foot damage. Uh, yeah, foot damage. What is it with foot damage? Uh, ooh, I can't handle it. You know, I have a well-known uh, issue with foot damage, and that just went right. Ooh, all the little bones. Whew, no thank you. <laughs> all the little bones. That's it right there. But um, so Victor Crowley throws that 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 javelin into Ben's foot and they're trying to like pull it out. And Mary Beth is watching him struggle with it. And she's like, you got to use. And she's like, wait a minute. At this point, Victor Crowley starts bum rushing them like he's full sprint running at them. And she's like, wait, just push it down. So they end up pushing the metal rod while it's still in his foot forward. So Victor Crowley runs right into it, impales himself on this giant metal rod and is like face to face with Ben, who's stuck there with his foot. Oh, that- and they think Victor Crowley's dead. So gross. But then he spits blood right in Ben's face, which I th- surprised the hell out of me. You don't know where I've been, Lou. Oh my God. <laughs> you don't know where I've been. <laughs> but yeah, so now I have, a, I have a question about how Ben got off of this pole. Did he just rip his foot straight through that pole? I don't think they showed it, right? Like, I think, I assume they just removed the, after he got impaled, they just kind of took it out of his foot. But how, though? Because the, the pole's still stuck in the ground with Victor Crowley impaled on it. Like, Victor Crowley never moves. So, like, he has to just pull his foot straight back through the pole, which, huh. ugh, 
I couldn't deal with that. Yeah, they don't they don't show or even mention it because the next cut is them just walking and they find uh, her dad's boat. Ooh, that's even worse. Now that image is in my head. Thank you, Garrett. <laughs> You're welcome. Wait, was that his dad? Their dad's boat? Uh, yeah, that was the uh, Mary Beth's dad, Samson. Uh, oh, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, and just when you think our characters are about to get away, right? We gotta have that moment where the monster's not dead. Mary Beth gets pulled out of the boat by Victor Crowley, who's in under the boat in the water now. And then we get a POV of um, being submerged underwater. And then when the camera comes back up, uh, Ben has just been torn to pieces laying in the boat. Well, this actually, they do a really good job of this because, yeah, they're having this like weird, like, well, thanks. We made it through like Ben's foot is completely like garbage town and yeah you're right Mary Beth gets pulled over the water we go under the water which reminded me very much of like Jason 6 I think it was uh, whichever one he gets like chained and like dropped under the water that's 7 is that 7 that's the one with the uh, the psychic yeah 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 actually I'll look at my shirt I'm wearing yeah it's part 7 um, <laughs> so I'm wearing my Jason shirt right now um, yeah so they pull underwater and we're actually under the water and we see Ben's hand get shoved down into the water like he's trying to grab for um, Mary Beth. And Mary Beth reaches up, and that's that big triumphant moment where she grabs his hand, and the the camera pans out, just lifts straight up out of the water to look into the boat. And it's Victor Crowley holding Ben's arm. Like, he's ripped it off, and he's holding Ben's arm. So you think Ben's rescuing her, but it's actually Victor Crowley the whole time. Good job, Victor. You tricked her. And then, like you said, it just cuts to black, right? Yeah, he, he, Victor screams and then it smash cuts to black, which I was like, what happened to the movie? <laughs> I was with you, John. I thought something broke. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, was this like a Sopranos situation? Yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> movie just cuts. <laughs> a Sopranos situation. Nice. Well played, sir. What a great movie, though. Yeah. And then that's it. I would definitely recommend it, and I would recommend watching through number three, because uh, three is my second favorite. Uh, I may even like it more than number one, honestly. Um, so if you can get through number two, and I'm not saying two's bad. Two isn't terrible. It's just not nearly as good as part one. Um, but you need kind of the backstory and the setup, because the characters from two definitely um, go over into the story in part three. And number three actually has a good... Um, we get Caroline Williams, who was the uh, gal from Texas Chainsaw 2. She plays a big role in, in part three. But anyway, um, yeah, it sounds like three recommendations all around here on this one. Yeah, 100%. Like, if you if you love good slasher film, as you guys know, I love a good 80s movie. I love a good slasher film. This movie, with the exception of the fact that it feels very 2000, is like exactly that. So it's it's definitely a recommend for me. I wonder if Adam Green's done since this. What else has he been doing? He did Hatchet 2 and 3. Oh, yeah, those movies. <laughs> <laughs> God, there's so many horror movie franchises. Are there any other movie genres that have like this level of franchise, or is this really isolated to, to horror? I want to say maybe action movies have like quite a few franchises and like sequels, but... It seems like horror in general just like has tons of franchises. What about Tyler Perry? He's his own franchise, right? <laughs> yeah, that man's got. But I don't, yeah, other than the the Medea movies, I don't think any of them are 
like continuations. Comedies, though, I think that does bring, tend to have long runs. You think like there was like twelve thousand American Pies. There were all of those. Not another X movie parody type things. Um, yeah, yeah, like Hangover things like that. Okay, yeah, I guess I guess comedies do tend to have quite a few franchises. National Lampoon made like seven trillion movies. So, yeah, that's actually that's a weird one. I don't want to get too much into that because it's a horror podcast. But like, <laughs> I feel like someone just bought the rights to the name National Lampoon and then just attached it to everything. Because I remember the the three originals, like you know, Vacation, European Vacation, and Christmas. And then after that, it was like National Lampoons breakfast beer bash and i'm like what the fuck is this yeah i think it uh, uh at the turn of the century you could just rent the name national lampoons for like a big mac and then <laughs> you could put that in front of your movie <laughs> oh my god that's pretty fucking hilarious oh actually mark guess what um adam green did something for friday the 13th the game oh that's cool um yeah, just speaking of that too, uh, Kane Hodder reprises his role as Jason. He got to play every single Jason for the first time for the video game. Um, so I guess they they motion captured him for every single uh, iteration of Jason on there. Oh, that's cool. So he's the only one to have played every single Jason once. Well, right on. Well, anything else you guys want to add on Hatchet? No, I think I think we did a pretty good job. I just want to say to our listeners, thanks for sticking with us through this uh, this pandemic recording session. Um, I think, Mark, you did an excellent job editing the last episode. But again, if there's any kind of audio issues or things seem a little bit off or the pacing is just not what it usually is, cut us a little slack. We're doing the best we can to make sure we get you guys some content in the meantime. Um, I know that I've got a few a few things put to the side that we're going to start putting out. I think I'm going to start burning through some franchises and give you my hot takes on them. And then John, are you doing any quickies coming up or I've got a few that I have to sit down and record, but yeah, probably in the next, you know, two or three weeks, you can expect one coming out. Nice. So just keep an eye out on our social media, our website, thegrapetalk.com. You can see what we're up to and we'll definitely be posting there whenever we have stuff available, uh, either via YouTube or it'll be uploaded for your SoundCloud and you can just find that on our website. And if you guys have any ideas or anything of like stuff you'd like to see us do, um, let us know. Like if you want to see Mark play a specific horror game or, you know, if there's something you guys know that I would absolutely hate and you want to like make me watch it so I can tell you how terrible it was, you know, hit us up, let us know. Um, we're always looking to kind of, you know, get some more content out there, but you know, we kind of rely on you all to, to let us know what you want to hear. Yep. And we super appreciate everybody that's reached out and talked to us uh, via Facebook, Twitter, etc. cetera. Uh, we love hearing from you guys, um, even if it's to let us know that uh, there's another bad Doom movie on the way. Uh, keep in touch. We love the interaction. But thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you again next time. Break, break, break.